millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi there again and welcome to the Explaining History podcast. Tonight I, I want to talk uh, about the, the various um, kind of conspiracies uh, that surround uh, Harold Wilson, the British Prime Minister, 64 to 70 and then 74 to 76. Um, the actual mo- the most successful uh, British Labour Prime Minister of, of the 20th century, uh, electorally at, at the very least. Um, and the um, the relationship, or the the very hostile relationship, that existed between him and the security services. Now, the the, the difficulty with this topic is that it is so mired in conspiracy theory, um, which you know aren't really theories at all. They're kind of just works of imagination. But there are certain aspects of, of what happened to Wilson which appear to be um, kind of demonstrably true. Uh, the fact that there was at least one um, military coup planned against him, an abortive one in, in 1967, um, which had um, Lord Louis Mountbatten's name attached to it. Uh, I think it's in season three of The Crown, in point of fact. Uh, perhaps he, um, there was um, uh, another, uh, a number of other lesser plots featuring retired military officers uh, about getting rid of Wilson. Um, 
Who was this dangerous Bolshevik? Well, he was nothing of the sort. Uh, Harold Wilson was an, a, um, an establishment figure through and through. He was really from uh, the, the centre ground of the Labour Party at the time. He believed in nuclear deterrence. He believed in maintaining uh, British bases and until unfortunately they became uh, unaffordable. He believed in the royal family. He was, um, for his time, um, a, a kind of sceptical about both America and Europe and thought that some kind of uh, uh, Commonwealth or some kind of uh, retention of uh, uh, the, the last remaining colonies might be possible. He viewed himself as a, a patriotic figure. Harold Wilson really um, posed as working class. He, um, during the, the, the kind of the brief kind of mood of egalitarianism in the late 50s and early 60s which um, saw the, the kind of the rise in popularity of working class pop music in the, the guys the Beatles and uh, a, number, a number of other um, kind of work, working class figures you know culturally people like Michael Caine uh, and Terence Stamp Wilson was able to pose with his pipe and say things like uh, that he didn't that he, he didn't eat smoked salmon um, he ate, ate tin salmon and didn't have champagne. He liked to fight a bit. None of those things were true, in point of fact. Wilson uh, liked the finer things in life uh, and wasn't a pipe smoker. He was a cigar smoker. But he was very, very clever, very canny when it came to public relations and understood the way in which the wind was blowing in the 1960s, the early 60s against um, Macmillan and the old Grousemoor uh, Etonians and towards a, a new conception of Great Britain, uh, one which really comes to a, a, a juddering halt in uh, 1979. Margaret Thatcher, in, in some ways, tries to kind of appropriate uh, a sort of um, lower middle class egalitarianism. Uh, she makes it quite abundantly clear that she's not one of the insiders, not one of the uh, the old boys network that have held the country back. And she she had the the kind of the grouse more elitists in her sight. Um, every bit, of, uh, every much as she did the trade unions, uh, except she was about to uh, drag the country in a radical right wing uh, direction. So it, sometimes it's difficult to fathom what the uh, the obsession that the um, the security services, the army, the newspaper magnates who were um, uh, more than more than happy to uh, undermine him. Um, uh, and what their kind of uh, um, their principal objection to Wilson was. And I think it's this. I think it's not that Wilson was necessarily taking the country radically towards the left. I mean, his great progressive achievement between 64 and 70 was the establishment of the Open University, um, which, again, is hardly the kind of, you know, collectivising the farms, is it really? Um it's uh, his principal issue was that he presided over a period of relative economic decline. There was a, a boom period um, in the mid 60s. And by 67, 68, inflation is starting to gradually creep up. Union unrest is growing. And by 
1970 when he loses, um, much to his surprise, to uh, Ted Heath. The country's in some significant trouble. And um, I think many um, uh, of Britain's elites who never really view the Labour Party as uh, a legitimate government whenever it kind of comes to power, um, placed, put their view was that, you know, the moment you get a successful Labour leader in charge, the country goes to hell in a handcart. Well, the, the truth, of course, is that um, the huge economic problems have been um, inherited from Macmillan, an overheated economy, um, a, a, a dreadful um, a deficit uh, and balance of payments problems and all sorts of things. So so far so that it was Reginald Maudling who first uh, um, Macmillan's treasurer, no, Hume's a big pardon, Hume's treasurer because it was Alec Douglas Hume he beat he beat not Macmillan. Um, um, it was Hume's treasurer who left him a note saying. Um, uh, but there's, no, there's nothing left, basically. There's nothing left in the kitty. Okay, so we're going to dive now into looking at the re the relationship between Wilson and the secret state. I'm kind of reticent to go down too many rabbit holes. These are only 25-minute podcasts, and to talk about whether the uh, uh, MI6 was really spying on Harold Wilson or they forced him to resign, that's uh, a story for, uh, uh, for, for, uh, for another time. Okay, so this is from uh, former Tory MP Stephen Dorrell uh, and co-writer Robert Ramsey's book, uh, Smear, Wilson and the Secret State. And they write, Wilson was not an intelligence insider. He had no direct experience of the world of spooks. His closest contact with the intelligence agencies had been in the 40s during the war, when, he, when as the president of the Board of Trade, he received security, uh, security briefings. When he finally did enter the secret corridors of Whitehall, meeting the chief of MI6, Dick White, Wilson put on the vestments of secrecy like a true patriot. So Wilson was more than happy to uh, embrace um, the the kind of the traditions and the the mores of the establishment uh, that he had kind of um, he, he had entered. In July 1963, a security row blew up when it was announced that Kim Philby, formerly attached to the Foreign Office, which is a, a euphemism for um, uh, MI6 agent, had defected to the Soviet Union. Wilson requested an appointment with the then Prime Minister, Harold Macmillan, um, and in one of those arcane rituals common to the British state, a meeting was arranged behind the Speaker's chair on the Privy Council terms. This meant that the contents of the conversation could not be passed on to Wilson's colleagues. Macmillan reveals in his diaries that he asked Dick White to give Wilson the whole facts. While what he was public knowledge could not have been justified, the manifest failure of the Secret Service to keep Philby under control. One simple fact I was given made sense of the story. I was satisfied and felt it my duty to say so in the house um, without giving reason and ask my right on royal friends to let it go. Uh, this is from, from, from Wilson's memoirs. To ensure completely that the opposition leader shared his views on the national interest, Macmillan convened a second meeting on the 11th of May. I had an hour with Harold Wilson, Macmillan wrote in his diary. 
and tried to explain to him how the so-called security services really worked. It seemed to be right to do so, and he took it quite well. One Labour backbencher, Niall McDermott, knew all about Philby and his true importance as a defector. McDermott had served in MI5 and met MI6's then head of Section 5 during the war. When McDermott began to raise the matter in the House of Commons, Wilson cut him off by suggesting that there were issues which cannot be discussed across the floor of the House. Next day, Macmillan recorded how grateful he was for Wilson's high sense of responsibility. So again, this is the interesting part about all this. Wilson was very, very good uh, at, uh, uh, at closing ranks. He saw his responsibility to the security state, the, um, the, the what conspiracy theorists would call this thing called the, the, the deep state, whatever that might mean, um, as being uh, far more important than any party political point and far more important uh, than um, the, the, the kind of the wider ramifications for British security and indeed British democracy. And some might think Wilson to be naive, but also this is in keeping in the main with how Labour leaders function. Um, Labour leaders, by and large, um, adopt the similar stances. If one looks at Ramsay MacDonald, Ramsay MacDonald was um, co-opted very, very quickly into the, the, the functioning of, of the state, so much so that um, Treasury officials allied with uh, gentlemen, gentlemen from um, the City of London would visit him and explain to him really how the economies ought to work and uh, uh, disabuse him of any perhaps slightly Bolshevist notions he had. Again, Ramsay MacDonald had none. Um, later on, when we look at Attlee, Attlee is a, a wartime um, Labour leader and Deputy Prime Minister um, and a, a, a kind of a, a thorough member of uh, Britain's cabinet um, and Britain's uh, Churchill's wartime cabinet um, and after the Second World War is uh, chief in helping Britain acquire the atomic bomb uh, and defending Britain's overseas assets. Um, Clement Attlee was not a radical decoloniser no matter what is, is suggested. He um, decolonised um, India and Palestine when there was uh, so much uh, perspective pain involved for Great Britain uh, and the, the likelihood of huge bloodshed and conflict in order to hang on to these colonies that there seemed to be no other point. Uh, there were um, all sorts of interesting and radical plans to reshape and remodel um, Malaya, to uh, develop Malaya um, and to use uh, the wealth of Malaya, which was um, considerable, um, in order to um, support Britain's uh, Britain's welfare state. So the the idea that um, Labour leaders are by their nature a, a bunch of dangerous radicals is, is is for the birds, really. I mean, the the only two that one can point a finger at uh, and suggest that they were likely to um, 
say things which were completely and utterly unpalatable were Michael Foote and Jeremy Corbyn. Uh, and these were Labour leaders who were treated to the full force of um, kind of establishment rage for having the temerity to be elected to office. Wilson, though, um, seems to have been this this kind of magnet for um, for the security state. However, Doral and Ramsey write the slim knowledge which Wilson did possess regarding the intelligence world was filtered through George Wick. Colonel Wick had served in the army for eighteen years and had been the parliamentary private secretary to a Labour Minister of War. As a backbencher, Wig was known as the army's watchdog in the House of Commons. Although he had never actually been in the intelligence game he, um, and, um, and was really an amateur, he did possess a high degree of experience in the defence field and held strong views on security and patriotism. The Philby affair reinforced Wig's contempt for MI6, uh, views which were encouraged by Henry Kirby, a maverick Tory MP who had served in MI6 during the war. Kirby believed that the Secret Service had been deeply penetrated by the KGB, turned out to be correct. MI6 was doing nothing about this, he suggested, because the service was run by unfrocked dons, misfits, oddities, queers and drunks, and the foreign office boys who were rogering their own rectums. Apologies for that. Um, Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Kirby trusted Whig's patriotism more than he did that of the, his own party. And the gossip he gave him encouraged Whig towards a sympathetic view of MI5. What Whig did not know was that Kirby was being run as an agent within the House of Commons by MI5. A former defence correspondent and backbench colleague of Whig, Ray Fletcher, says that Whig saw the difference between MI5 and MI6 as a class thing. Wig told him some of, of MI5's boys belonged to the secondary schools, but the MI6 lot were all Oxbridge types. Fletcher believes that while Wig was not perfect, he did an honest job, but was later the victim of MI6 smears. This is an example of the recruiting battle between MI5 and MI6, one of the themes dominating British intelligence. So... Parliament and parliamentarians... Um, 
often exist within within the kind of uh, within the reach of the intelligence services these days there are um, uh, the intelligence services have nowhere near the the kind of the ability to um, influence and sway backbench MPs um, and successive kind of waves of essentially profession, professionalization uh, of the intelligence services uh, have, have fundamentally uh, changed them um, and made the, the the kind of the picture painted here really a, th a thing of the the dim and the distant cold war past um, and the you know the the, the 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 context of the cold war kind of colors all um, all other things but it was clear that the way in which Wilson was being fed information and the way that Wilson was essentially being handled um, before he became um, prime minister um, was with a view to him possibly being the the kind of the um, the, the, the chief figure in the, the British security state and so he was being guided in certain ways towards uh, essentially the interests of the security services and the interests of different branches of the security services. Um, Wilson himself, as, as it says at the start of the book, Wilson was no, um, no kind of insider. And there have there been a few, um, a few prime ministers, I mean Churchill is obviously a glaring example, but also uh, Anthony Eden and Harold Macmillan, who were um, very familiar with um, the security services, very familiar with the intelligence services, uh, and understood their working, and were accepted into their world. A lot of this is to do with social class. Um, a lot of this is to do with uh, elitism and uh, snobbery, and the fact that connections and old school ties, which still count for an enormous amount in Great Britain now, uh, counted for even more in the 1960s and 70s. When Philby was exposed, um, or when it, was, when it was strongly intimated that Philby might be um, a, a Soviet uh, agent, it was Macmillan as foreign secretary that made a statement in his in uh, clearing his name, uh, and it was only upon his defection uh, that the 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 scandal broke loose. This in 1963, when he defected and was known was referred to as a foreign office official, um, it took a further five years. And it was the Sunday Times and the, the brilliant journalist Philip Knightley, who I was fortunate to, to correspond with before he passed away, who finally broke the story that Kim Philby was not in fact a junior foreign office clerk, but was head of counterintelligence at MI6. Um, something that, as you can imagine, puts an entirely different light on the on the story. Um, the the establishment was utterly mortified by Philby's betrayal, but closed ranks, uh, as establishments the world over tend to do. Um, and the fact that so many of those who were left looking foolish were connected by, by, um, by allegiance, by friendship, by uh, school uh, background and university, um, 
pointed out to to many that um, the uh, the security services and the establishment themselves um, were uh, kind of grossly incompetent. One of the things that's made abundantly clear by Philip Knightley in his book, uh, Philby KGB Master Spy, which is an, an amazing account of Philby's life and probably one of the most accurate uh, ever penned uh, in, a, in a kind of a field where a lot of nonsense is written about the guy. Um, one of the things he, he points out is that there was a, a widespread belief that um, whoever the, whoever it was, whoever the mole was, it couldn't be Philby because he was a good guy uh, and he'd been to the right school. Um, Philby was eventually um, eventually rumbled, not by uh, anyone from Great Britain initially, but by an FBI officer um, who, as Philby was the, the, the MI6 guy in Washington, and so many joint MI6 and CIA operations behind the Iron Curtain kept failing, um, the FBI looked at the uh, people who were involved and just said, this can't be pure chance. They, it was straight police work and looking at the evidence it, it, dispassionately that first began to uh, point to the fact that, that Philby uh, was compromised or um, um, working as a double agent and betraying agents who are uh, dropped into places like Bulgaria. So the uh, it's, it's interesting to note that the the kind of the the, the demise of Philby came from uh, sources external to Great Britain and certainly external to uh, Britain's kind of uh, elite class system. Coming back to to Wilson, Wilson's decision to leave office um, after his um, return to power in 1974 was based in, in part the fact that he wasn't well. Um, he had grown, he was, he was old, he was um, a shadow of the, his, the ebullient uh, figure that had uh, come to power 10 years earlier and was exhausted by struggles with the unions. Um, he eventually, late, many years later, uh, died of Alzheimer's and he may have been kind of in early onset. But he was obsessed with the fact that he, would be, he was being bugged, his officers were being bugged. Um, and he believed, he, he was increasingly paranoid and suspicious. He eventually became very paranoid of his cabinet colleagues thinking they were trying to uh, take his job. But the, the evidence to suggest that he, he was being, being bugged is, is not inconsiderable. Now, like I said, that's a kind of a, a topic for, for the future, and I do hope, hope to cover it. But what I think that we can learn from this podcast is that, you know, Wilson was this, this kind of fish out of water in a world of Etonian ties, hoping to really be a faithful servant of Britain's establishment and a, a kind of a, a, a good loyal figure of, of the British state. Um, but he was uh, turned on nonetheless. In the early 80s, um, Chris Mullins, a Labour MP, wrote a quite a famous novel um, called A Very British Coup. It was made into a TV series about a left-wing uh, British uh, MP becoming Prime Minister and a, a, a coup by the security state uh, against him. This wouldn't happen now. 
we've already seen uh, what actually does happen when Labour elects a genuinely left-wing leader. The, uh, the the kind of the, the the sharp teeth of the British state don't have to do anything at all because their best guys within the the Labour Party um, are the ones that take care of the problem. Um, the uh, right of the Labour Party that essentially um, removed Jeremy Corbyn for whatever his shortcomings or faults or ups and downs, uh, removed him from power and engineered Labour's loss in the 2017 and 19 elections, uh, are the ones who now safeguard Britain from the prospect of progressive or radical change. Thanks very much for listening. And I'll catch you on the next Explaining History podcast. Do swing by our website, www.explaininghistory.org. And there's always a bit of interesting new content on there. Check us out in the Explaining History podcast Facebook group. Always some interesting articles going up there. And I'll look forward to speaking to you all soon. All the best. Bye-bye. Extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.